Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Elliott. Very excited today. We have a special guest that's going to be diving into something unique. It might be unique to you if you're first listening to this strategy, but there are 30 plus different ways to make money in real estate. This is just going to be diving into one of them. And this particular strategy, we're going to be talking about note investing. What is a note? How do you do it? Um, what's the benefits, the pros, the cons, everything in between. So we're going to be diving into that today. And uh, you're definitely going to want to pay attention to this one, take notes. And if you find value in it, as always, please do me a favor and subscribe as well as leave a review on iTunes. And uh, that would mean the world to me because it pushes it out to more people and uh, breaks off those limited beliefs because we are all about educating people, motivating them, and preparing them to take action in real estate investing. So with that being said, Gustavo, what's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm great. So I wanted to dive in and see, you know, first of all, anybody out there that might not know exactly who you are, you mind telling them like, where are you from? What you're doing? You know, who you are as a whole. Absolutely. First off, thank you for having me on your podcast today. I really appreciate it. It's uh, been following you on Facebook. And so it's, you guys are doing a great job of putting out some good context. So I appreciate that. Appreciate you. Um, so for a lot of people that don't know me, my name is Gustavo Garza. I'm here in Houston, Texas. Uh, my main company is called Clear Path Property Solutions. And I started diving into the world of real estate in September of 2015. And I got started because of the fact that we were about to buy a mobile home park. And then when we were getting close to the end, kind of freaked out because we really didn't know what we were doing. And we decided to get educated and learn from people like Brandon and many of the other people that are out there and start absorbing the information. And this world has been, it's essentially changed my life 180 degrees on what my perception was on how to build wealth, how to, you know, create profits or flip real estate. It just really changed everything. I think that was one of the pivotal moments in, in the life of, of myself and of my wife. And uh, so we've, we've let money out. We've rehabbed uh, residential properties. We've done it in different states. I'm here in Texas. We've done it in Iowa. We're in Florida. <clears throat> we have wholesale properties. We have, I've just been going out and trying to do and experience as much as possible to learn what I like. And I always kind of joke that it's kind of like sleeping around in real estate. I haven't really figured out who I want to marry yet. I'm just kind of, you know, trying a little bit of everything to see what I like and what I don't like so that I can really hone in and focus on what I feel is going to be uh, the business business that's right for me and where I can do the most, uh, most good or create the most wealth with the least amount of time. I love that. I mean, sleeping around in real estate. I've never heard that expression before, but, uh, but it's so true. And I actually do really promote exactly that. You know, I think there, there's so many ways to invest in real estate and everybody, a lot of people out there, at least they, they're educated on the fix and flip because they see it on TV or wholesaling because everybody and their grandmother's doing it now or, you know, rentals. Um, but they're not educated on all the other ways to make money in real estate. So it's very cool that you're getting out there. You're doing a little bit of everything. And it, it's kind of funny how, you know, you guys were going in big at first until uh, you realized, you know, hey, do we know what we're doing in this? Maybe we should back up, take a, take a step or two back and then really get the proper education. So kudos to you for doing that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the biggest things is, you know, it delayed our action a little bit, but it was, I'm glad we did it because that would have taken all of our resources. Yeah. Like all in one fail swoop. And then we had no clue about management or all the different things to look for when buying a mobile home park. So there were so many questions we had not asked. Yeah. And there were so many things due diligence wise that we had not done 
I'm glad we didn't jump in for those exact reasons. And because we didn't, that allowed us to really divert a lot of our resources in a bunch of different directions and really kind of determine what we liked. And, um, and it has been phenomenal. And I definitely think that um, real estate's not for everybody. I'll put that out there. It, it mm. definitely takes a certain type of mentality and temperament for risk and for just trying new things. If you have any type of hesitation on trying new things, you're gonna have to really get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. And we actually deal with this between my wife and myself because my wife has a, a, a really big hesitation in doing something. Mm. And my question to her is always, what is the worst that's gonna happen? Let's I love say, that. And let's say it's gonna cost 10 grand. Yeah. Can we lose 10 grand right now? She goes, well, yeah, I think we can. I go, okay. so. That's the biggest one. What are your other hesitations? What if you fail? People fail all the time. That's it right. doesn't stop them from continuing to do it. So you might fail, but guess what? You'll learn something. Okay, what are your other hesitations? And ultimately, when we run through this exercise, it's just a personal barrier that she's got to break through in order to just go and do it. And for me, and, and this can happen in any type of relationship, for mm -hmm. if, essentially if you just know that you have this issue, it's just breaking through the barrier that you were just creating excuses not to go do something because of all the what ifs. And that's why there's that saying, C students are the ones that run companies and the A and B students work for the C students because the C students were the ones that cheated in school. Yeah. They're the ones that did whatever it took to pass so that <laughs> they can get through it. And so they are, they are already trained and they already know how to take the risk, how to write the answer so the teacher doesn't catch you how to, you know, try to figure out what answers are coming up on the test or prepare for it. A and B students don't do that. They just study the material, they memorize it, they know the material. The C students are the devious ones. That's yeah. why we have companies. And so that's a good thing and a bad thing. <clears throat> we don't like conforming to a lot of things and we just go do it because what's the worst that can happen? I don't know the subject. So if I cheat and I pass the test and I pass the class, but if I cheat and I get caught, well, I was going to fail anyway. So what, what, what would be the point? And there's that different bit of mindset that goes along with it. I'm not advocating that, but I'm just kind of more of a reality check of, you know, what typically happens. Yeah. So we have tried so many different things and have learned so much in all the aspects of real estate. And one of the things that uh, we've, we, we just recently completed, and I was talking to you about this, uh, you know, not, not that long ago, was about some of the notes that we created. Now, for people that don't know about notes, a note is anytime you finance anything, a note is created. You go to the furniture store and buy some furniture and they finance it for you. A note is created for that furniture. You go buy a car and finance it. A note is created. A house, a mobile home, an RV, your cell phone. All these things create notes when you buy them. And that's what happens. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that the people, when you buy something and a note is created, the people that sell you that product typically don't hold on to the note they turn around and they sell the notes off. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do that is because it allows them to turn their money over, make a profit and pass it down the line, which happens in a lot of different forms of real estate. A wholesaler buys a, buys a property cheap, he turns around, sells his contract on the house. Same thing if a car, if you went and bought a car and you got a title and you, then you turned around and financed it, you create a note, it's all exchanging paperwork. And yeah. for some people, they just like to exchange paperwork because paper is really what you're selling. Wholesaler is selling a contractor. Uh, somebody's selling a note, that piece of paper is what's worth the money. And so uh, to kind of give you guys a little bit of idea of what we did was we financed some used RVs to some RV parks. And this opportunity presented itself in talking to some people who owned an RV park and saying, hey, we need to buy some RVs, but we don't have the cash right now. And I said, okay, I'll finance it. Now, mind you, when I agreed to finance RVs, I had never done one before in my life. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to structure it. I didn't know anything. I just said, I'll try it. Why not? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? I love how you bring that up too, because anybody that I'm ever coaching or even just talking to in, in general that are dealing with fear, uh, of, you know, what if, <clears throat> you 
you know, I always try to, I always try to push them and encourage them. You know, what is the absolute worst thing that can happen? Let's just write it down on a piece of paper, pros and cons. What's the worst that could happen? And then at the end of the day, it really does come to identifying where your, your comfort zone is. And then, you know, whether you're willing to break through that and get some growth or stay stagnant at, you know, at your current level is, is kind of where I like to, um, you know, paint the picture, but it's so good. Have you, have you ever heard the saying, every joke is half truth? I haven't. No. So to tie this, I have, I have. Yes. Yes. Every joke is half truth, right? So you joke about it, but you somewhat believe it, but you're put it in the form of a joke because you don't know how the other person is going to um, react. Yep. You say like, well, we could lose $10,000. That usually is one of the first layers that you have to peel back to really get down to somebody's true fear of what's going to happen. A lot of it is the self-esteem. Like maybe they have never really in their eyes failed before. And what they're truly not really afraid of is the money or anything like that. They're just actually afraid to truly say that they have failed at something. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't remember is that we have failed consistently while growing up. We just don't remember it because we just don't think of it in the context. Yeah. One of the biggest examples, like when we try to learn how to walk, right? How many times as a kid do we fall down all the time? But basis, right? We get back up, we continue to walk, riding a bike, you know, uh, asking that, asking that first girl out. I like to try to correlate the passion that you need for this business with that crush you had, like say back in junior high or high school, if I think we could all remember that first person that we were like, Oh my gosh, they're so beautiful. They're so handsome, whatever. Oh man, I I totally want to go out with them. And then you do whatever it takes to make that happen. As a guy, it was like to brush hands with the girl, right? Or like if you invite them to a movie to grab popcorn at the same time, so you could, you know, have that physical touch or, you know, and you're planning and scheming in your head, however, to plan this out to get what you want, because this is something you're so passionate about. And I was like, take that into real estate and you'll be successful. Yeah. Unstoppable. Yeah. Because of the fact is, it's like for a lot of the people that have found those relationships, <laughs> found those significant others, nothing stopped them. It doesn't matter how many times that were said no, or all this other thing. We went after what we wanted and nothing got in our way. And too many times we forget that. And we let other things influence our ability not to go after them. So, so good. as far as taking action, I, when I'm coaching a lot of the people that I've coached, I use that analogy and they're like, no, you make so much sense because I make them remember what they did for that first person that they ever asked out or what, what did they do? And that was tremendous. Yeah. No, and, I love um, it. and so that really correlates really well. Cool. So going, going back to uh, note investing, just to clarify for every, all the listeners out there. So basically a note <clears throat> is uh, just a piece of paper that, you know, has the contract, has exactly the, the written instructions on what is owed, who owes it, who lent it out. And, uh, and it's just paper. So that's what a note is. That's correct. It is essentially stating that you are lending X amount of money to this person backed by this asset. It could be personal or real property. And for this, for the terms of this arrangement, this amount of interest, this long of a term, this amount of money, this is what your payment has to be. All that is lined out in a note. And then once you receive that note and you have that, you can turn around and sell it. So what a lot of people don't think about in the world of finance is in real estate, you've probably heard of like when you go for a hard money lender, origination fees, documentation fees, like all these fees, that's their profit. Yeah. That's where they're making their money is doing the paperwork and building that package together. So once they have that package, they turn around and sell it. And to somebody who doesn't want to deal with all that, it's just looking to put their money to work for themselves. Yeah. There's the value that you're bringing. You're finding the person, you're creating the paperwork, you're doing your due diligence so that you can create that package in order for you to be able to sell that to an investor who doesn't want to do that work. So true. Yeah. Cool. So for anybody out there that's listening, that is looking to get into note investing, what, what would you recommend them to first 
you know, educate themselves on or, you know, the, the first initial steps in order to go about it? There are, if you ever want to create your own notes, two things, find a good lawyer and understand the usury laws in your state. Yep. So for those of you guys who don't know, the usury laws are on a state-by-state -state basis dictate how much interest you can charge when financing something. Mm. And in Texas, it's 18%. So if you want to finance something here in Texas, you have to be below that threshold or you are breaking usury laws and you can get sued for that. So knowing that in all the different states is kind of critical. This is one of the reasons why Iowa is one of the insurance and financial capitals of the United States. Their usury laws allow interest rates to be at 24%. Mm. So they have a very high threshold and that's why like Des Moines has the amount of financial and insurance institutions that are headquartered there because of the state laws. So know that the second thing is you can do anything with the right lawyer in place. Yeah. Because I went to a lawyer and said, all right, I want to finance, I want to, I want to finance this piece of equipment that this person is buying from this person. And this is how much it costs. And this is what I'm charging them. Here is all the information. Build me my note. Yeah. And they put all the paperwork together, told me what I needed to do, what I needed to file, made sure my contract was good. And then I, and then I go, okay, now once I build this note, I want to sell this note. And they go, okay, well that's different paperwork. All right. So once we got all our notes, we said, okay, we're ready to sell. Here it is. They built the sales documentation and then we were able to sell the note packet, everything together based off of the documents the lawyers gave us. And would I rec you, could you create your own notes or do legal zoom or go online, try to do it? Yes, but it's just not worth it. No, it and isn't. One of the biggest things and the reasons that I did the, the used RV financing to an RV park is for a few different reasons. So I'm going to explain those reasons and they're going to make sense and things you need to think about when you're creating notes. So the U.S. government has a lot of laws for consumer protection. They don't care or give a shit about businesses. Yeah. There is not a lot of protection from business to business transactions. <laughs> There's a lot of consumer protection, but there's not a lot of business there. So if I were to finance an RV to a consumer, the paperwork would almost double. The rules and regulations I would have to follow would be a lot more stricter. And I would have to then go and qualify that individual, just like somebody who is going through and buying a home. Credit <laughs> checks and background, they, they've got to get validated um, in order to make sure that you can they can buy that house and lend them because of the better lending practices that have been put in place after the last crash. When you do business to business, none of that applies. Mm. So that made the transaction a lot simpler. Yeah. So the second thing you have to consider, take into consideration is how that asset is protected. So when I financed RVs, everybody's like, well, what if they drive it off? I go, where is the RV park is the one financing it. Yeah. They're there. It's not an individual. So why would they drive it off of their park? The park still owes me and I'm being backed by the institution itself. <clears throat> and so it's like, well, how are you going to be protected? I go, well, if they don't pay me, the beauty about a business to business transaction is I can put a lien on their receivables. So that means that I can get paid when they receive any type of income. Yeah. So, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, Basically, when you receive the rents that, that come in or any type of income, correct, uh, yeah. with the proper documents put in place. Yeah, so if I get a lien on their receivables, yeah. that means when any money goes into their bank account, that I get paid out of that prior to them getting any money first. Yeah, I love so, it. Now, what if they switched up their, uh, their bank account? So whenever they go through that, I mean, you... you you're always going to have, like we talked about the what ifs, right? And so part of this process that we took a look at was what kind of cash flow the park was currently making and making sure that we weren't pushing them on the limit of like a break even or losing money or something like that. Of course. Could they change bank accounts? Yes. Could that make it a little bit more difficult? Yes. But if they stop paying and I put an injunction on their, or at least I put a lien on their business, 
doesn't matter what bank they do because if they open another bank account and they stop paying out of one, I just go and have the have them put the lien on the new bank account they open. And yeah. since that is that's something that can be done by the in, in the courts. Yeah. But again, it's kind of one of those things where it's a different asset. It, there's different pros and cons to lending on it. The beauty about why I did this is because the low entry point. Yeah. So notes, all the notes I were creating were less than $10,000. Oh yeah, it's a no brainer. So, and, and, and with that being said, one of the things is like, well, who are you gonna sell them to? I go, I'm pretty sure I could throw a rock at any investor meetup and yeah. somebody's got 10 grand that's sitting around that they'd like to put to work and these notes were making 18%. So yeah, it's like, of course. Who has 10 grand that like to make 18% on their money and get a monthly paycheck? Hey, uh, you let me know if you got any more of those, okay? <laughs> right? But that's yeah. the beauty of it. It's such a low entry point with, the, with what we were doing. We found somebody that bought all four of these notes for a package deal. We, we practically, uh, was it? I think my net return on it in three months worth of work was 44% return on our money. And, I, and it was just kind of one of those like, okay, now we've done it. We've learned a lot from it. Now, how can we systemize this? How can we scale yeah. this up and grow it and find more people to be able to do this? That's what we're working on right now because we had that experience. We learned from it. I liked it because here's the beauty about it. And this, this for the people that are listening to your podcast, it's going to change your world on the world of financing and how to make money. So people said, well, what was your cost of money? I go 0%. Like you, you had, you paid for these for three months and then financed them. And then how was your cost zero percent? I go, well, I went and got a zero interest credit card. Yes. I went and put that in PayPal. And when I financed things, I PayPal them the money. So I paid a 2.9% transaction fee, but I financed all this on a zero interest credit card for the three months. So what was my cost of money? Well, 2.9% of the transaction. Well, if you take a, let's for easy math, $10,000. Yeah. If I spent $10,000, what's 2.9% of $10,000? $290. Yeah, it's so crazy. If I, if I make four grand and my cost for the transaction was 290, do you think I care? No. No. Yeah, it's crazy. So that, that credit card is zero interest for 21 months. I'm so glad you brought up credit cards because I, I'm a big advocate of leveraging, like in America, it's like one of the, it's just the craziest um, type of platform that they, they really give you so much credit. It's so easy to get credit and, and be able to maximize it. I have uh, just a few different credit cards that will give me up to $100,000 cash like today. And, and it's just a 3% charge. Like they'll deposit it into my bank account. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it's, and that wouldn't hurt my utilization rate because of, um, just overall how I've built up my credit lines, but, uh, and I but don't know I, if you talk about credit lines, but I'm going to throw this tip out. I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah, please. You know how many credit lines you need to have that are open in order to be considered excellent? 20, 20 plus. Yeah. So, uh, I believe 16 though, 16 plus, uh, we'll like you'll get to that green category, but 20 yeah, plus. Good. 21 takes you to excellent. Yeah. And yep. most people I talk to, so kudos to you, man, because most people I talk to, they, they're like, what? That yeah. many credit lines? It's like, yeah, I have like 10 credit cards. I don't use, I use like maybe three, but each credit card increases your credit capacity. And even if you don't use it, when you have a zero balance at the end of the statement, that's an on-time payment. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. So they're like, how do you have so many on-time payments? Like, it's like, cause I have all these credit cards that I don't use yeah. every month. I get like 10 more on-time payments. Yeah. I get 10 more non-delinquencies and I build up that age of credit over all these different accounts. So I never close down these accounts. I just build it up. And just like you said, I'm using a good portion of my credit card capacity, but my credit score is still 740 plus because my, my, my total capacity is massive. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And uh, I'm a big advocate on leveraging credit and really maximizing it. I've been able to travel to several countries with just points developed from doing some of my remodels. Uh, so all free and 
Um, there's just so much power behind leveraging your credit. So I've, I've spent a lot of money to be in mastermind groups, private mastermind groups regarding credit, but uh, it is above and beyond worth it to say the very least. So kudos to you for, uh, you know, being able to leverage as well, because not enough people I feel like are truly leveraging their credit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's some great tools out there. And if you really look and dig, I mean, there, there are some, there are some great new companies popping up. Yep. Um, like one of them, for example, um, that I use quite a bit is cabbage. Yep. Have you heard of cabbage? Yep. So I use them for wholesale deals. Like yep. if to put, like if I need to go buy a cheap property real quick, turn around and sell it. Like I could go borrow 20 grand for $336. I was like, oh, gosh, oh, it's such a tough choice. Oh my goodness. No, it's not. Crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, even if I just make $1,000 off that transaction, it cost me 336. I made it $600 like, yeah. really quick. Who cares? I mean, it's, I think that's the thing. People are looking for the big wins. You get enough small wins in there and you do just fine. Yeah. And I mean, and kind of going back to the notes, what is, I mean, all these people, what they're doing is they're creating notes yep. and the more notes, I mean like cabbage, what they do. So we'll talk about that. Cause it's the back end of cabbage is a great note philosophy. They go to a bunch of big investors and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get un unsecured lines of credit to these business owners based off of the cash flow and this algorithm that we've built out to determine if they're good candidates. Yep. We're going to lend to them and we're going to charge them X interest rate up here. As an investor, you're going to make this down here and we make the gap. And so we're going to provide you a consistent return of let's say 12%. Well, they're charging me 18%. So they're making 6% on everything. And then what they could do is they could bundle all those notes that they have or the whatever lines they could go off and sell, or they're just essentially creating notes so that they can make notes. And that's another thing. So they create a note to an investor to get money and then they're creating other notes to create more money. And you could almost consider it a wrap mm. because they're backing these other investors money by the notes that they're, they're making and they just make the difference. Yeah. So the power of wrapping notes, creating notes, selling notes, there's so much there. And when you know how to utilize it correctly and you understand how to make money in it, you're shuffling paperwork for money and it doesn't require a lot to do it. You can start small, you can work your way up big. It, it really, there's so many different realms that you can you know, play in this space. But the fact is, is that again, you could use other people's money, put your plan in place and trade notes or sell notes, buy and sell notes with other people's money to make the difference. And I mean, that's the beauty of it. And that's why I like the financing side. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And, and the power behind it at the end of the day, it's really just getting a little bit educated on what the hell you're doing and then running with it. You know, just like you said in the beginning on, on that first transaction, you didn't know what you were doing, but you found the resources, you found the lawyer, you got a little bit educated on it and then you secured your, your investment. And you also thought, what's the worst thing that could happen? And yep. if it's very minimum, then, you know, why not? Because the, the upside of it is tremendous. So one of the places that, I was kind of surprised, but have a lot of knowledge on notes and you might not even think about it this way, but are a lot of your self-directed IRA companies. Mm. So if you go to their training sessions, what are they doing day in and day out? Yeah. They're creating notes for the investors yep. that are lending their money out on deals and they're making notes day in and day out. If you want to buy notes, might not be a bad place to go. If you want to sell notes, it might not be a bad place to go because they know exactly what they're doing. They create and create notes day in and day out. And the self-directed IRA companies have a lot of experience making money on the note side of things because that's what they do. So for me here in Houston, we have Quest IRA and they have a, a meeting like every Tuesday morning or Quest Trust Company now. And when I sit down there and I see some of the deals that they've done with the notes and the exchanging of money and everything, it just keeps giving me new ideas on how I can go market myself yeah. or what I can do to be able to just try something a little bit different or tweak it a little bit. Yep. That's what it's about. I love it. So now have you ever, most of the notes that you've been doing are typically just one-on-one -on -one with, you know, people that you're meeting, correct? Have you ever done any um, notes on, you know, buying notes from other banks or, you know, wrapped up altogether? No, I haven't. Um, 
So I originally was looking and getting into non-performing notes. Yeah. What I realized in the note industry is you have to have cash behind you in order to be able to go buy the notes or an investor that will give you the cash to be able to do that. Yep. And what I also kind of learned in that whole process is even though that note is secured by a property, the fact that I'm going to go buy and, and sell notes or buy and turn a non-performing to performing was almost like uh, talking a, a foreign language to most investors. Yeah. They couldn't wrap their head around it. And so I didn't get a lot of interest from people wanting to lend money based off of that strategy because they're like, well, I'd just rather put my money into a house. And I'm like, you are putting your money into yeah, a house. Yeah. Because when you put your money into a house, guess what? You create a note. And that's the yeah. note that I'm buying from, from banks is that note that you'd actually create. So, I mean, but it was just such a concept that it just, I mean, it's like the gears were stuck. They couldn't, they couldn't rotate. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a lot bigger here in the future. Mm. So they have a note conference in Las Vegas called the Note Symposium. Yep. If you ever have, have you ever been to that? I haven't. I have heard about it though. Heard good things. It is just crazy the different notes people create. So yeah. To kind of give some example, I didn't realize I could go buy credit card debt at three cents on the dollar. Yep. So I can go buy $100,000 worth of credit card debt for $3,000. Am I willing to take the chance and pay three grand to get $100,000 in credit card debt to try to collect on it? So if I go collect that money and let's just say I get 10% of the total debt, I've tripled my money. Yeah. So when you hear about debt collectors and calling and, and restructuring debt or, Hey, well, if you, if you start paying us today, if you make X amount of payments on time, we'll forgive 50, 75% of your debt. That's the reason why I didn't realize that you could buy credit card debt that cheap. Yeah. Prime auto loans. All these guys just trade notes and they give you so many different strategies. If you are truly serious about getting into note investing and want to know a lot of different possibilities, I would definitely recommend visiting that conference. It was incredible. And it also, uh, there's a lot of people there that buy notes. So not only can you find out strategies on how to create notes or how to buy notes properly so that you can make money, then you're also meeting all the people that buy the notes. So now you have your buyers list put together of the people you can sell your notes to. So it's turnkey in that perspective for anybody who wants to get into the note business. I love it. So true. So with these notes, um, you know, have you ever bought any non-performing notes? No, I have not. Okay. So, um, so from my personal education, I haven't either, but I'm actually, uh, talking to somebody right now that has a couple non-performing notes that he's looking to sell. And I'm, we're kind of finalizing details and trying to figure out, you know, what's the best, uh, match on this situation. Cause it's going to be a bunch of them. Um, now in your personal opinion, what do you think is better non-performing or performing? Well, that's a trick question. It is. Yeah. And I'll, Performing notes offer more security because they're yeah. already performing. You don't have to do any work. Kind of like your risk tolerance overall for any of the listeners out right. there. Yeah. So risk, I mean, if you're like, Hey, there's this house in Houston, Texas in a great neighborhood. It's a performing note. They're paying 6%. If you buy it, we'll give you a, you know, X amount of discount and you can cash flow on this for the next 20 or 30 years. And it'll be a good investment. Non-performing notes in high dollar areas or good areas, there's very minimal amount of discount on them because they know that the real estate is worth a lot of money and then they can turn around and do something with it. If you have a higher risk tolerance, you can buy properties, especially non-performing notes, in areas that maybe it's gonna be best to turn it into a rental or it might take a little while to sell it, but then your discounts are 55, 60, 70% of the actual value of the property. So you can get property cheap buying it through non-performing notes if you're willing to do the work. Yeah. And that, that's why I said it's a little bit of a trick question because if you know how to do the work or if you know the process a little bit, buying non-performing notes in, in for properties and areas that you like to invest in is a no-brainer. Go do it. You're going to make more money doing it that way. If you're looking to park money and make a consistent return, 
putting that in per, to solid performing notes is a great investment strategy for you because you get that consistent paycheck every month and you know that your money is working for you without having to worry too much about it. And it's backed by a hard asset that has the value. And you also just need to look at, you know, your time commitment, because if you're picking up non-performing, you're either going to have to have a system already in place of other people you're going to leverage out those non-performing notes to, because you're going to have to start making some calls or like do it yourself and make those calls. Um, try to get in touch with the person that owes on the note and, you know, look at their finances, try to restructure something, see if they're even willing to, and, uh, and try to get this thing, you know, performing again. Yeah, so doing non-performing notes, you, you might want to love to read or have been a lawyer because yeah. when you get the due diligence on non-performing notes, <laughs> I think conservatively we're talking about here, there are some cases where the paperwork's right here. And guess what? You have to go through those documentation and make sure there's nothing in there that throws up red flags. Now, here's something that I learned that professional squatters, they can sometimes do and it makes it almost difficult to foreclose on. So there was this one case study that we took a look at. This lady had been living in a house that she owned. She had not made a payment in over 15 years. Mm, okay. 15 and years. Talk about professional. Wow. <laughs> so you can file whatever documentation you want and attach it to the deed of the house. Okay. So I could go get an entire copy of the Britannica Encyclopedia and say, hey, I want you to put this and record this to my property. And they would have to do it. So now when somebody goes and wants to buy my property, they're going to pull up a file. Like, let me lean back a little bit. Like, you know, what, however big that is. And they've got to read through that I didn't stick some things in there in between all those pages that could stop them from being able to foreclose on my property. Yeah. So this lady filed a declaration of independence. She had her own constitution. She was saying that her ancestral right to the land that it was sat on goes all the way back to 15 something or whatever. And so she had just like bombarded this with all this documentation, had gone to court several times and had knew the statutes well enough to be able to get the case dismissed or nobody was willing to fight her on it to take the property over. Wow. Because of the fact that it would cost more money to fight it than the property was worth. And therefore, nobody would want to buy the, the non-performing note. The bank would try to foreclose on her. She would take all this documentation and have say, hey, you're going to have to fight me on this. And so it just wasn't worth it because of all the different like layers she had built into this property. When you're dealing with real property, that's something that you have to deal with because of the fact that it is real property. Mm. AKA one of the reasons why I like the, the little personal property with the title, because I don't have to deal with all that. You have X amount of title that's issued for personal property. I'm a lien holder. I sell that lien position. I'm done. Yeah. But with real property, that's what a lot of the non-performing people have to go through. They've got to do all their due diligence and within that due diligence is having to go through all that paperwork. So, but again, not every case is like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where you have to be aware of it. You got to know what you're looking for. And if you don't know what you're looking for, then you might be buying property that you're never going to be able to unload. And now you've got an asset you can't do anything with. So true. Yeah. And, and like, like you just mentioned, I mean, at the end of the day, that is an extreme case. And if you're going to be buying like a, a big portfolio of non-performing notes, you're obviously playing the numbers game. So you might get one of those crazy situations in there or several of them, but you are, you know, praying and hoping that there's a good number of uh, notes, non-performing notes that you'll be able to call, get a hold of them right away, realize that, you know, they might've gone through unemployment or a job situation or whatever, a death in the family, whatever the situation may be, and then be able to structure it, restructure their note to be able to um, get them, you know, performing again, which right. would make those prof, which would make those uh, notes a lot more profitable, and then you could resell a performing note. That's correct. So, uh, the typical thing is like loan modification, like you talked about. Yep. So you have loan modification, you have cash for keys, uh, you have foreclosure, and um, uh, I think. I forget what the, the other one was, but those were like the top four strategies for non-performing notes that you can execute. Mm -hmm. And for anybody wanting to get into it, 
don't go in and blindly. Literally, there, there are some great people out there that do non-performing notes, that teach classes. Yep. It's a lot of great information. The cost of the class is minimal for what it would cost you if you invest in a bad non-performing note. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm pretty sure most people take away from this is get educated and take action because that knowledge is going to be worth it every penny. Just like hiring a lawyer to drop your documentation is worth every penny. People are like, well, I don't want to keep spending five, six, six hundred, a thousand dollars to draw paperwork. Yeah. If something goes wrong and you're putting $200,000 into a property and you're worried about a thousand dollars worth of paperwork, don't do the deal. Seriously. It's so true. Cool. Well, um, is there anything else that you would recommend as far as, you know, somebody getting started in buying notes for themselves? Let's see here. Um, start small and understand the process. I think just kind of like people progressively in life, they go bigger. They take a little bit more risk because they have the experience. They feel more comfortable with things. Mm-hmm. Don't try to tackle something massive. Don't try to go to a bank and buy a hundred non-performing notes right off the bat. Um, really just kind of take your time with it. And again, go and ask yourself, well, what's the worst can I lose? Well, I can buy this non-performing note for $10,000. Am I willing to lose $10,000? Yes. Do I think this will be a great experience? Yes. Do I want, is this something that I potentially want to do? Yes. Okay. Then go ahead and do it. But it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of like what they say about going to Vegas. Whatever money you take into a casino, you've already lost it. Yeah. You got you to gotta play the game like you've already lost the money. Because once you do that, you remove the fear, you stop counting your chips, and you focus on the task at hand, which mm-hmm. is winning the hand or doing whatever you need to do. And then the people that have that type of mindset are the people that are successful in doing that kind of stuff because they are eliminating the things that hold people back in gambling. And this is gambling. Everything we do is risk or gambling or however you want to put it. Yeah. It's just a calculated risk or a calculated gamble, right? That's right. Yep. And so that's what I would kind of point out is calculate the risk, calculate the gamble, go in with the mentality going, if I lose everything, I'm okay because, you know, this is something that I want to try. I'm not saying blindly go into it, but make sure it's like, hey, people read blackjack books before they hit a blackjack table or read a book about craps or whatever. But do your research, have some confidence, go in there, take some action. And I can't tell you how many things we've failed at and how many things we've had success with. And so far, my successes have outweighed my failures. And by all means, I am not rich. I don't make like a tremendous amount of money or anywhere in that realm of things. But what I have done is I have gained so much experience over the last three years that has become so valuable in how I approach almost everything now in life as far as finances and real estate and personal property and everything that it has ultimately changed me for the future, which I think will pay its dividends in the, in, in the future. And I'm still trying to figure out things out. And I don't think anybody who says, well, I haven't figured out. I think that person's probably lying to you. Yeah. I think that in, in all sense of the fashion, we're all still trying to figure things out. We all don't have crystal balls, but that's okay. And so if that's one of your biggest fears, well, I don't feel like I know all that I need to know know enough, take some action, learn from it and move forward because that's all we do in life. And there's no reason to stop that. We just need to continue doing that. So good. So, so good. I appreciate that. What are your next moves this year? I know you got a couple of big goals coming up. Do you care to share on those just for a moment? Yeah, so absolutely. So um, I know I shared these with you last time, but for everybody listening out there, um, my goal is to, I've shifted towards passive. I'm going to, I'm going to purely uh, purely uh, focus, I want to say purely, but majority of my focus is on passive income. Mm-hmm. My two-year goal is to be generating at least $10,000 net a month that's going into my pocket so that I can take my family for 12 months on an RV trip from Houston, make a big loop all the way to Alaska and back. Mm-hmm. And so that is what I'm shooting for. And right now we've got an, uh, two and a half acres that we're going to build into an RV and boat storage facility. Okay. And once we get, once I've got that one squared away, which should be within six months, I will be looking for this next one. And my goal is, is that I can reach my goal if I do four of these. So one every six months. And if I can make that happen, I hit my goal in, in two years. I take my 12 month trip. That's going to be my reward. I'll come back from that and refocus to maybe do four more, double my income and then do another trip. Yeah. But ultimately, um, 
my, my real goal is just to spend time with my family. I think we talked about this and I think this is kind of uh, something that uh, everybody should do. I know a lot of people talk about vision boards, Yeah. but what I like to do is think about what my ideal day looks like. And it's no, so it's not when it's not really materialistic, but how do I want to spend my time? And so my ideal day, and I'll share this with you because I think this um, kind of give you a sense of about who I am a little bit is yeah. I'd love to wake up in the morning, cook breakfast for my family, take my kids to school, uh, go come back, go work out with my wife, have lunch with her, uh, go work in the afternoon from like one to four and then come out and be involved in my kids sports or go see them practice or whatever and do that kind of stuff. And that's what I want my typical day to look like Monday through Friday. And if I can achieve that, I believe truly in my heart that I will be a happy man. I won't, I don't need expensive cars or houses or anything like that. I, that's how I would like to spend my time. That's how I'd like to spend my day. And if I can get to that point, then I would consider myself to be a great success in what I have done because I've been able to achieve what I consider a perfect day. So I would challenge all your listeners to really think about what their perfect day would look like and really strive to make that happen. Yep. I've done this, uh, a lot more in the beginning of my entrepreneur uh, journey, but you know, every now and then I do like to update it and, and write down, you know, on a list of all the ideal things that uh, I would like out of life. And then, you know, what that ideal day would look like on a regular basis. And, um, and I, I think it's very powerful to really manifest that, see it on a piece of paper and, and really be able to, you know, work on those goals because as you write it down you might you know and really ask ask for something big something huge i think it will be a lot more eye-opening to to see it all start coming coming to foreseen once you you know put it out there so so i i don't know if you have one of these but this is the five minute journal you from tim ferris yeah yeah i don't okay so um this this right here uh, has, is, is actually really hard to do. It is, it's, I mean, it doesn't, take, it doesn't take a lot of time when you first start doing this, but it's really hard. And this kind of helped me come up with my perfect day because it kind of put things in perspective. And if you kind of go through it, it says what, you have to write down three things that you're grateful for. Yeah. You have to write down three things of what would make today great. And then your daily affirmation. And then at night, three amazing things that happened today. And how could I have made today better? Mm. And what bec what's so difficult about that task is because you will get a sense that you're writing down the same things over and over again. And then you're trying to challenge yourself to really think about your life and, and what you're trying to accomplish. And are there things that I should be grateful for that I'm just not thinking about? Yeah. And it really makes you put some of that thought in there. This really kind of helped me put into perspective just all the people around me all the family, friends, investors, people that have gotten to me to where I'm at today. And I write down a lot of people's just personally, like there's a lot of people's names in these books that like, I'm grateful today for this person, this in private investor. Without him, I would not have been able to do this project. I would not yeah. have been able to make $20,000, which allowed me to take a trip with my family. Yeah. And I'm personally grateful for that person for having faith in me to be able to do this. Exactly. I really kind of broadened my perspective. And, you know, I know everybody talks about like their why and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people's whys are really superficial yeah. because of the fact is like, well, I want to have freedom. Well, every, those are all byproducts. Those are all byproducts of being successful in whatever you do. But why are you driving to do this? And I think when I think about my perfect day, that's my why. Yeah. My why is, is because this is, this is how I want to spend my day. This is if, if, if I have only five days left, I, I would just quit everything. This is what I would do every day for those five days. And I would thoroughly enjoy it and I'd have no regrets. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it, it's very easy to get caught up in like the busyness of everybody's life and take things unintentionally for granted. You know, having clean hot water or having the relationships in, in your life. So there, there's a lot of things to be grateful for. And starting off the, the morning like that, starting off the day. And ending it is definitely something that will always put a smile on your face. Even, even when you're going through, you know, you get mad or get upset about something. If you just think about something that's truly, you know, you're really genuine, genuinely, you know, grateful for, then uh, it will definitely 
turn the mood around. So I love that. Absolutely. Well, well, brother, is there anything that the listeners can do to give back to you? Um, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure just like any investor, we're always looking for money, cheaper and better, whatever, or whatever to accomplish everybody's goals. But um, I'm always on the hunt for more capital. The more capital I have behind me, the more deals we can do, the more we can help each other reach our goals. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things. And, and, and I'll share this with you because I think that how people ask for private money has really been skewed. Mm. And one of the things that I, uh, that I talked about when I taught about private money is like, how many times have you asked your private investor how they got the money that they have to lend? And I feel it's kind of like almost understanding somebody's story of the hardships or what happened. Like one of our private money lenders, they lost their, uh, the, the lady and her kids, they lost their husband in an accident. And so they got all this insurance money. So they're using the insurance money to put to work, to be able to keep that going yeah. to support them. And, but she goes, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever just pitching the deal and, and doing this kind of stuff. So for all the people out there that are borrowing money, really just kind of, truly get to know your private money lenders, build that yeah. relationship, ask them and understand where they came from it. And for everybody that's looking to lend, you know, just, you got to have a relationship with somebody. You know, there's a lot of people that, Oh, I don't need the relationships. This is purely transactional. And sometimes I'll fall into that category. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but ultimately houses don't pay you back. You know, property doesn't pay you back. Guess what? People pay you back. Yeah. Relationships will. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and then the question is, do you truly know somebody? You don't. And yeah. I had this discussion with somebody where we were talking about, would you rather lend to somebody who's, who's always, you know, that always pays somebody back? Or would you rather lend to somebody who's lost money on a project and had trouble paying somebody back? Mm. My, my opinion is I'd rather go with somebody who's gone through that hardship, who's lost money, had to have that difficult conversation with their investor yeah. and actually had it and try to figure out a way to pay them back, no matter, even if it was coming out of their pocket or take a little bit more time because they had the integrity to keep their word of I'm gonna pay you back your money of what I have borrowed. And to me, that shows the, shows the character of a person and that, what that person will do to pay it back. Somebody who's just had success in everything that they've done, I don't truly know or they have never really been tested in what they're capable of doing. And people who have had that much success tend to get a little bit more risky in what they do. Now, some people can have that continued success and I wish them for, I'm not saying that that's a bad investment, yeah. but it's just a different perspective of something to think about. And it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things, same thing in relationships, you get burned in a bad relationship, right? You're hesitant to, to give back in a relationship unless somebody gives you the confidence to pull you back in into something because that they're creating that connection with you. So, I would just say like, uh, again, we're, we're always looking for money. We're always looking to expand and grow what we're doing. We're complete. We're very upfront about everything that what we're doing, how many people are in the deal, you know, I respond pretty quickly. I try to make sure that the lenders, if they have a question, they get answered really quickly because I understand that like lack of communication or that silence just leads to just doubt and fear and stuff like that. Of so course. sometimes I kind of get carried along in like the, the business of everything, but if I get a message from an investor, I try to turn around and sometimes I let it go. It's like, oh man, I'm sorry. I haven't talked to you in a while. Here's an update. Here you go. But I try to make sure that that's, that's the one thing that I really try to hone in on because I feel like anything can be worked through if the communication is there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And without, you know, being transparent and having communication, then resentment can build up and the unknown, uh, which develops fear and, and it does get a little crazy. And I definitely just want to, you know, everything that you just mentioned is super solid, very good. And I 100% agree that a lot of people, they don't know how, you know, a lot of people out there don't know exactly how to, you know, raise money or, you know, maybe they're, they're not asking the proper questions, but um, I've raised money a few different times. And just to give a little bit of feedback, uh, just because I, I feel like it, it might be relevant right now. A lot of people have actually been asking me, you know, that's something that they're struggling with right now on, you know, how do I raise money for these deals? And, right. and what I like to do, you know, I, I've never asked for money, but I've always had several people always offering money after they see my excitement. And when, you know, neighbors or anybody that you're walking around with, uh, doctor visit, like anything, uh, the male person, anybody and everybody, if you are just, you know, your energy that you bring to the table and that you're telling them, 
telling them when they ask you like, Hey, how's your day going? And you say, Hey, I just got another deal or, you know, I'm working on this other big project. It's super exciting. And you know, you ask them back, you know, what are your goals this year? Stuff like that. Um, a lot of people to a small degree, I feel like have either given up on their own dreams or they get excited so much about the energy that you're bringing to the table with your dreams that they want to be a part of it somehow. But before you take that money, I think it's very important to ask like, well, what are your goals and, and plans with the money and where is it coming from? You know, is it coming from an IRA account that's going to get funded right back? Or do you need liquid cash right now that you're looking to flip over? You know, what are their goals? I think that's very important. Yeah, I've, I've, turned, I've turned away money because I couldn't meet the investor's goal. Yeah. And I didn't want to put them in a situation that didn't make them successful. So the first two questions that we usually ask, once we kind of get through like, oh, I'm interested in lending. So when I understand that, the two questions, are, how much do you have to lend and how much are you willing to lose? Yeah. I never let anybody lend the full amount right off the bat if their answer of how much they're willing to lose is less. If they're like, oh, I have 100,000, but I go, how much are you willing to lose? And they find that to be an odd question. And I go, let me tell you why I asked this question is because I don't want to be the end of a marriage. Yeah. I don't want to create financial issues for you. And if you've never done this before, this is going to be an experience that will probably make you uncomfortable at a certain point in time. Yeah. And I'm going to make that completely upfront and honest with you. So I ask you, how much are you willing to lose? Because if you say $20,000, let me put $20,000 to work for you. Yeah. I'll put it in something quick. We'll turn it around. You'll get the experience. Then you can determine whether you want to increase your risk or if this is not something for you. Yeah. Because we've had that happen. And, you know, there's plenty of money out there to be, to be raised. There's plenty of money oh, to do projects and stuff. The last thing I want on my conscience is the fact that I caused issues within somebody else's life or relationship because, hey, I, I, hey, I need you to extend a loan for me for another two months. And that caused a marital fight or something. Or, hey, man, we're having some issues. We're just going to have to hold the money a little bit longer. Because, you know, I'm sure being in real estate, you know that things typically don't always go as planned. Yeah. You're definitely going to have to adjust as an entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. And so when I bring that honesty to the conversation, a lot of people right off the bat go, okay. And then they try us out. And I say, well, I'm in this for the long run. I don't want to just use your money, take advantage of you, and then go to the next one because then I have to consistently be raising capital. If yeah. I can build relationships with key people like yourself that I see we have a future together with, then I don't care if the first one is 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, it doesn't matter. I'm in this to show you that I can perform. Yeah. I'm in to show you that you're getting what you want out of this. I love it. So good. So good. Gustavo, bro, I, I appreciate you so much. Is there, um, you know, how can any of the listeners, if, if they found value in this and want to get connected with you somehow, how can they get a hold of you? Um, I'll, you guys can give me a call uh, on my business line, which is 832-930-3131. Um, okay. Or you could reach out to me uh, by email, which is gustavo.garza at clearpathproperties.com. Uh, those are the two easiest ways to get a hold of me. And um, yeah, if you guys have any questions about notes or thinking about getting interested into it, I can definitely share some information, um, talk to you about it a little bit more and definitely um, help out any of your listeners if, if they're looking for any advice. I love it. I appreciate you so much. This was nothing but great content. So uh, I, I think we did the job today by you know, educating people and motivating them and preparing them to take action in real estate. So super excited. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me, Brandon. I really, Brandon, I really appreciate your time. Of course. No, likewise. And uh, for any of the listeners out there, if you want to connect with me, you can always do so on brandonelliotinvestments.com. Otherwise, Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments or um, Facebook. It's Brandon. It's facebook.com slash uh, Brandon Elliott, R-E-I. So uh, definitely reach out, connect with me on there. And as always, if you guys find value in this, make sure that you share it out, uh, that you subscribe for the new episode every single Monday. So make sure you're subscribed as well as leave a review. That just helps put it out there and, and promote it to more people to hit my goal of hitting a million people um, and, and cut off those limited beliefs that, that would mean the world to me. 
that'd be an awesome way to just show that it was valuable to you. And if you send a screenshot that you subscribed and left a review, send it over to me. I will send you my book, Action Driven, absolutely free. And, um, and there's tremendous value in this. A lot of storytelling as well because stories sell, books don't. Uh, this one's not going to be for sale, so you can, you can just get it for free. Uh, otherwise, you can find it on Amazon. Um, but there, I've always been known as somebody that takes action. And there is a lot of things in here to cut off limited beliefs, cut off fear, and things that you know you can start implementing on a daily basis that will actually turn around procrastinating and actually start you know preparing yourself to fully take action on a daily basis. So this is definitely going to be great. You're going to want to get your hands on this. So do me a favor, subscribe, leave a review, and uh, share this out and send a screenshot of that to me, and I'll take care of you. So I appreciate you guys all so much for tuning in. And uh, till next time for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Gustavo, you're the man. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.